Hello friends, welcome back to our Bible study of 1 Corinthians. I hope that you're doing well. I am uh, doing this podcast today right as Hurricane Zeta passes over High Point, North Carolina. So you may hear the wind whipping uh, through the church building uh, behind me as uh, we study together today. But I hope that you're doing well where you are. And again, thank you for um, being committed to in-depth Bible study. Uh, we know that in the Word of God we find uh, truth. In the Word of God we, ke- we hear the voice of God speaking to us. And uh, time spent with the Scriptures are so important. Uh, it gives life to my soul, and I trust that our times together also gives life to your soul. So if you have your Bibles in front of you, invite you to open to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, last week, we began chapter 4. We looked at verses 1 through 7 of chapter 4. Uh, today, we'll begin looking at verse 8 and make our way through the end of chapter 4, 1 Corinthians. Uh, let me just set the context from last week. Uh, in chapter 4, Paul is continuing uh, to answer a lot of the attacks, accusations, and errors coming from uh, the church at Corinth that he founded, along with some others, such as Timothy. And he uh, is uh, telling them about the, the office of the apostle, what it means to be an apostle. And uh, in the opening verses of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, you heard Paul talking about um, the fact that uh, apostles are servants, apostles are called to be uh, stewards or trustees of the mysteries of God. Uh, they're called to be under rowers. That's the word Paul used in the last week's session from the beginning of First Corinthians. But servants, um, under rowers, uh, stewards, trustees of the mysteries of God, and the mysteries of God tend to refer, in Paul's writings particularly, tend to refer to um, the fact that um, uh, the mysteries of God is that's the gospel and all that pertains to the gospel, all that uh, has been made open and known now through the work of God in Jesus Christ. But anyway, in those first seven verses, Paul was talking about uh, the work, the life of the apostle as a servant, as a trustee, as a steward, and was uh, reminding everyone that servants of Christ are not in competition with each other. Uh, We shouldn't pass judgment on one another. We shouldn't pass judgment even on ourselves because ultimately uh, our judge is God. And one day we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So beginning in verse 8, Paul is uh, picking up, answering his accusers, his attackers there in Corinth. I referred to them last week as uh, super apostles. And it seems to be that was the case. Some people came into Corinth preaching the gospel uh, after Paul, and they attacked Paul. They attacked uh, Paul's personality, his preaching, and they uh, claimed to be a more enlightened than Paul was. They claimed to know more than Paul. So Paul is on the defense right now. And that's going to um, help you understand how Paul begins 
in verse 8. Paul begins this section where he's talking to these uh, people who are attacking him and attacking his ministry. He's talking to these people, and he begins with sarcasm. And in some ways, it shows us uh, the humanity of Paul. I'm sure he's, he's very agitated at these people and what they're saying uh, about him and what they're saying about the gospel. I think that's really the, the case for Paul. He's agitated about what they're saying concerning the gospel even more than he is trying to defend himself. So he begins this section uh, with sarcasm aimed at the people that are attacking him and bringing errors to the church. I don't tend to like sarcasm. I try to not use sarcasm because uh, I do believe that sarcasm is almost always the opposite of encouragement. And I'd rather offer people encouragement than sarcasm. But I, I understand where Paul is at. Here in this text. And that's why he starts out verse 8 saying to these people who are super apostles, super Christians, who think they know more than anyone else and that they have a higher status in the kingdom of God with these words. Sarcastically, already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. Uh, the sarcasm is just dripping right there. Uh, it seems that even though we do reign with Christ in this age, and there is a sense in which we rule with Christ in this age through the power of the Spirit, uh, these uh, super apostles and, and their followers in Corinth are taking it to an extreme. And they see their condition in life uh, right now, presently, as Paul is addressing them, in a way that is um, unrealistic. Uh, we have great promises. We have great position in Jesus Christ today. Uh, we are reigning with Christ today, but our reign is not complete. Our reign has not been fulfilled, but somehow these people uh, that are attacking Paul are pretty puffed up on themselves. Uh, and you're going to hear Paul make reference to that, make reference to their arrogance. So he begins with those words of sarcasm. He's saying to them, you think you're, you're the complete package. You have all that you want. You need nothing else. You don't hear, need to hear from us. Uh, and he's attacking that sort of arrogance. Verse 9, Paul says, For I think that God has exhibited us apostles, and here he means us true apostles, as the last or the least of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle. We'll talk about that word spectacle. To the world, to angels, and to men, we are fools for Christ, he says. So what he's saying here about the, the true apostles who are, who are doing ministry in the spirit of Jesus, he is saying that they are least, they are last. Uh, those of us that serve Christ, those of us that are Christ's followers, uh, should be very humble. Uh, we should uh, see humility as one of the greatest of, of all spiritual attributes and virtues. Paul obviously did. He says that he, like all apostles, are seeing themselves as the last and the least men sentenced to death. And he did use this image here of a spectacle. He says, as the apostles of Jesus Christ, uh, they are like a spectacle to the world, to angels, to men. The word there comes from uh, uh, the Greek world. And it means, it means something very specific. It means a captured prisoner, prisoners of war that are being paraded like in an outdoor theater for the sport 
of the people. Uh, that happened frequently in ancient Rome. And that, that, was, that is the spectacle that Paul is talking about here. Uh, we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. So he's saying um, as followers of Christ, we should be very humble. We have been captured by Christ. It's not what we've done. We've allowed Christ to capture us, captivate us. We've allowed Christ to take possession of us. Um, we are no better than anyone else in the world. We actually realize now that our call is to be uh, servants to, to everyone. Um, and we have been uh, captured almost prisoners of war. And the world is looking at us. The world is looking at us thinking we're spectacle, thinking that we look like we're fools in their eyes. But Paul is making it clear that we're, we're fools for Christ's sake. He's already talked in 1 Corinthians about the whole idea of the cross and a crucified Messiah, a crucified Lord, um, declaring someone Lord of the universe who's been executed as a state criminal as complete and utter folly to the ancient world. And, and we should understand that. It still is a scandal. That was Paul's word. It still is a scandal. Uh, this this truth that we proclaim about Jesus Christ. So the world doesn't understand us. We should not be surprised when the world doesn't understand us because what we are proclaiming, even though Paul has already said it's the wisdom of God, it truly looks like foolishness um, in, in, in regards to the wisdom of this age. So he's saying that we, we look like a spectacle. People have been sentenced to death, captured in war, being paraded before people for entertainment uh, as fools. But he says we're fools for Christ's sake. And he goes on in verse 10, uh, but we are fools for Christ's sake. But you are wise in Christ. He's sort of falling back into the sarcasm here. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. Uh, again, there, there's the sarcasm, and I, and I understand it. And there may be times that really call for that sort of response. And so I'm not going to judge Paul here, but he is falling into the use of sarcasm against these, against these people who are attacking him and, his, and the people who um, think he's a great apostle. They're attacking all of them and somehow uh, claiming uh, in great arrogance that they're so much better. Uh, again, make sure you notice, this is a intra-Christian conflict. These are Christians fighting each other. So when we uh, look at church Christian disputes today, nothing new. We've been doing this since, since our beginning. But Paul here is usually sarcasm, making sure that people know that he doesn't even want to claim for himself what they're claiming for themselves. And in verse 11, he begins one of his lists. He does this several times in his writings. He does it three times in 2 Corinthians, uh, more letters that he writes back to this church. In verse 11, uh, he's talking about himself and, and apostles like him. And he says, to the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor working with our own hands. Remember, Paul was a tent maker or a leather worker. You make tents out of leather in that age or, or animal skins. He says, we labor working with our hands. We, when reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. Uh, we become 
and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of the things to come. Uh, Paul occasionally creates these lists um, when he's forced to. And he tends to say it's because he's being forced to. He doesn't want to boast. Uh, one of those places where he creates such a list is in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It's probably the most famous occurrence of this. And again, he, he, he is acknowledging he doesn't like saying this type of thing because it, it does look like, feel like to him boasting. Uh, I'm in 2 Corinthians now. I jumped ahead, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 beginning at verse 23, just to show you another time Paul does this. In verse 23, and again, he's fighting the, the super apostles that have come behind him and they're attacking him in Corinth. And he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 and following, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of anxiety for all the churches." Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to, to fall and I am not indignant? So Paul there is talking about his struggles. He, he feels like he's being forced to um, address his struggles, to somehow um, affirm that he's willing to do whatever for Jesus Christ, that he has been called by Jesus Christ to be an apostle because these people are attacking him uh, in the church at Corinth. But what I want you to notice now is in verse 14, back to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And as we continue in that text, in, in verse 14, he is all of a sudden going to begin speaking in a rather fatherly, paternal, parental way to these Christians he's um, addressing in Corinth. Again, he founded the church. So he sees, themselves, he sees himself as their father. And um, he's gotten his sarcasm out of his system a little bit. He's gotten some of his anger out of his system um, in, in earlier verses. In verse 14, he does, he does change quite a bit. Um, and he begins to offer a, a fatherly admonition uh, to, the, to the Christians there um, in Corinth. And by the way, after we finish chapter 4, beginning at chapter 5, and further into 1 Corinthians, he's going to start talking about some of the some of the errors, some of the false teaching, and some of the immoral behavior uh, that following these super apostles is causing the people of Corinth um, to exhibit. Um, so we'll start next week in chapter 5 where he starts talking about sexual immorality. Right now he's still talking to the people that they're following. He's talking to the, to the people who came behind him preaching what appears to almost be a different gospel. Um, and he is um, making the case 
to the people that, that he is truly an apostle. They should remember what he preached to them. So he's ending this section before he starts dealing with the specifics of, um, of their problems. Uh, he, he, he ends this section with his fatherly admonition. You've seen the sarcasm and the anger of Paul in the verses immediately preceding this. Now I think you'll see the loving heart of Paul beginning at verse 14. And all of us are a mix of, of all these emotions and all these attributes. Beginning at verse 14, he changes his tone and he says this uh, to the Christians there in Corinth. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. We Christians shouldn't traffic in shame, whether it's bringing shame to other people or uh, thrusting shame on other people, or even living in shame ourselves. He says, I don't, I'm not saying this to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. So he's letting them know that he, he loves them. He wouldn't even be as agitated as he is at this point, except for the fact that he loves them. He calls them his beloved children. Verse 15, For though you have countless guides in Christ... And again, he's referencing the people who have come behind him and are saying things that's causing um, he, Paul, to be put in a bad light. He, he's referencing them, he says, for though you have countless guides or countless other teachers or leaders or instructors in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. He sees himself as the father to these people because he was the one who brought them to faith in Jesus Christ. He, helped, he, he, was the, he was the midwife of the Holy Spirit who birthed these people into new life in Jesus Christ. He sees himself as their father. Uh, he's acknowledging they have a lot of other teachers, instructors, or guides, but he's their father. Verse 16, notice what he says to them. I urge you, I encourage you then... Be imitators of me. Now, some people read that in our age, in our world, and they think Paul is being extremely arrogant himself. Um, you need to understand about something. He is something about this text. He's at a point here where he is speaking as a father, and he's speaking as a father in the Greco-Roman world to his children, and uh, particularly in the Greco-Roman world, and it's really true today, one of the primary ways parents instruct their children is through their example. And whether we acknowledge it or not, our children learn, learn more from watching us how we behave than our children learn from what we say. So Paul is speaking as a father here, and he's saying to them, imitate me. I urge you to imitate me. Watch my actions. Um, all of us that are earthly parents, in whatever way we're earthly parents or spiritual parents, just like Paul's a spiritual father to the church at Corinth, we, we need to make sure we are living in such a way that the people who are watching us truly um, can imitate us and learn how to follow Christ that people can look at us and, and, and find spiritual direction and formation. There's always people more mature than we are 
in the Christian life, but there's also people behind us that are learning, that are newer in the faith, and they're watching us. We are always mentoring others in the Christian faith, whether we acknowledge it or not. Paul knows he's mentoring these people in Corinth, and he, he is saying to them he's lived in such a way that he's inviting them to imitate him. Verse 17, back to the text. He says, That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Uh, remember, Timothy was almost certainly with Paul when he founded the church in Corinth. Timothy's much younger than Paul. Timothy is a, a son in the faith to Paul. So at this point, Paul is writing from Ephesus. But he either has already or is getting ready to send Timothy back to the church in Corinth. Um, and he wants Timothy to remind the people in Corinth of the Apostle Paul's teaching. Um, and he's saying that what he taught them in Corinth, he is teaching the same thing in every church and every place. Uh, by the way, as an aside, what in the Christian tradition we mean by the word, word Catholic, little c, Catholic, is that which has been taught in all places at all times um, to all Christian people by all Christian people. A little c, Catholic, universal. Paul is saying that he, he only taught in Corinth what he has taught everywhere else. Uh, you know, if you've got a teacher, preacher, leader, guide that's offering you something unique, uniquely different in the Christian life, there probably is a problem there. In Christian theology, uh, teaching that is unique is usually heresy or false teaching. Paul um, is saying the same thing everywhere he goes, he says. So he's reminding the people in Corinth of, of this package. And uh, it's clear in the New Testament there is a faith once delivered to the saints. The book of Jude tells us to contend for that. Uh, and what we do uh, since that faith has been delivered to us is we pass it along. The word tradition actually means that which is passed along. So we don't make up new things about the Christian faith. We just pass along what we've received and we just remind people and ourselves what we have received. That's, that's the gospel. And that's what he's saying he's sending Timothy to do uh, for them there in Corinth. Verse 18, some are arrogant. Again, he's back to talking about those super apostles uh, that came behind him in Corinth. Verse 18, some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you. Again, we see the human side of Paul. He's saying um, they're going to have to face me one day. I'm going to come back to you there in Corinth. And these people who have said so much about me after I left, uh, I'm going to invite them to say the same about me and, and the gospel I've preached uh, when I come back to you. Verse 19, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. Paul usually always adds that. We can make our plans, but God is the one who superintends. He says, I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. He says he, don't, he doesn't just want to hear what they've been saying. Uh, he wants to see the fruit of, of their preaching, the fruit of their teaching. He wants to see the power of what they've been teaching. Verse 20, to wrap up this section, he says, For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, 
but in power. Now keep in mind, Paul talks about preaching uh, as being um, God's way of bringing the gospel to the world. But what he's talking about here is talk um, as opposed to the power of God. You know, people who talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. Uh, He says, uh, these people who are talking to you, they may not be producing fruit. Their ministries may not be producing fruit. Uh, Paul, by the way, also would be speaking of signs and wonders. Because in the early Christian community, signs and wonders, um, miracles, tended uh, to confirm the message. When true apostles brought that message, Peter, Paul, James, John. So he's talking about the power that comes with the preaching of the word, the true word. And he wants to see if that power is present. Uh, Do they see the activity of God and do they see the fruit of changed lives? If not, then it should be obvious to the people that whatever these, again in quotation marks, super apostles are saying uh, might not be truth with a capital T. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk but in power. Verse 21, um, what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with a spirit of gentleness? Uh, With a rod of discipline in sort of a harsh parental way? or come to you with love in the spirit of gentleness. I, I'm sure that Paul wants to be able to go back to them in a the spirit of gentleness, not to discipline them with a rod, um, but to go back to them in a the spirit of gentleness. He's willing to go back and discipline because that's part of the faith. We need, we need to hold one another accountable, and there needs to be discipline for our actions and consequences to our actions in the body of Christ. But his preference is the other side of that coin. He had rather, uh, he had rather come, back, come back to them in a spirit of love, spirit of gentleness. He would like for them to uh, work out some of the problems that he's addressing so that when he can come back to them, they, uh, they can celebrate God's work in their midst. And uh, he doesn't have to go back to continue what he's been doing here in 1 Corinthians, his work of disciplining, uh, his work of telling them um, the truth about what it looks like to live as Christ followers in the world. Well, that brings us to the end of chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians. Uh, we will pick up in our next session next week in chapter one verses, chapter 5, verse 1, uh, as Paul begins to talk about the specific issues that he was hearing about uh, situations uh, there in the church of Corinth. Again, thank you for your commitment to in-depth Bible study. Uh, you spending this time with me is a great, great encouragement to me, and I trust that it is the same to you. God bless you.